powered from the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Drew Estate Studios in California. It's episode 259 of the Primetime Show. Tonight, we welcome Rob Dietrich, the master distiller of blackened whiskey, as our special guest. And as always, the Primetime Show is sponsored by Saga Cigars. Delos Reyes introduced another chapter of the saga, Saga Celeste. Celeste is a Spanish word that means leisure after work in the spirit of the standing ideal of owning your own journey and making your own saga. Saga Celeste is the perfect companion to enrich those moments of choice, making them truly yours. Saga Celeste carries a blend of Criollo Olor and Piloto Cubano wrapped in a selected Ecuador shade Claro wrapper that generously delivers with elegance a surprisingly rich and balanced smoke. It's available in three sizes at an affordable price. Be sure to ask your retailer for a Saga Celeste. And by Perdomo Cigars. Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20th Anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary blend requires tobacco has been carefully hand-selected and are well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo's got a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo State Selection Vintage, Perdomo Double-Aged 12-Year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary, Perdomo Abano Bourbon Barrelies, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Menso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And we'll mention Cavalier Geneva. Cavalier Cigars, Cavalier Cigars, smoke gold and stay gold. Join the inner circle and follow Cavalier Cigars on their social media accounts on Instagram at Cavalier underscore cigars and on Facebook at Cavalier Geneva Cigars. That's Geneve, G-E-N-E-V-E. You can visit your local tobacconist and also join the movement that is Cavalier Cigars. They're consistently highly regarded by cigar lovers everywhere, as well as high ratings by the Cigar Industry Press. You want to follow them on Instagram? At again, Cavalier underscore cigars. They'll do some unique giveaways throughout the whole year that you can take advantage of. That's Cavalier Cigars, Smoke Gold and Stay Gold. And finally, by Drew Estate. Dark, bold, and unapologetic. Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest and darkest and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. This is a masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drew. The all-Maduro Blackened Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is rich and powerful, but beautifully balanced, offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for life celebrations and times of reflection. You can find them at your local Drew Estate Drew Diplomat detailer, retailer and remember all of the live streaming for the calif uh, for the primetime shows as well as the california studios for the primetime shows is sponsored exclusively by drew estate well welcome everybody this is primetime episode 259 today is thursday march 9th 2023 it's will cooper in the Perdomo cigar studios on the black stage i'm joined cross country by my good friend and colleague in the Drew Estate Studios, Mr. Aaron Loomis. How you doing tonight, Will? I didn't flub anything to the last sentence, by the that's way. That's right. <laughs> you almost made it. I almost made it. Right, right. So, no, it was pretty good. No, good week, Aaron. You know, 
look, I know we're going to talk about this. I feel like baseball's now. I'm ready. I'm in baseball mode now already this week. I got into it this week. Yeah, I think we're I think we're all ready to go. Baseball classics kind of getting started and a little some beginning games. Yeah, going on. So it's yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's, it, it's, it's funny. I have season. I have no interest in the March Madness. I mean, I'm much yeah. more interested in the World Baseball Classic. So yeah. Yep. So uh, so yeah. No, I'm excited about that. So I I feel like uh, that's when I feel like we're starting to get the spring now. Um, and usually in Charlotte we have it's Charlotte's famous for getting like a March snow. Like uh-huh. we have we didn't get a March we didn't get that March snow this year. So I think if we go one more week, we'll be fine. We won't see any, we won't see any snow till next year. But it was snow, yeah. it was it was virtually we had no snow this year at all in Charlotte. It didn't yeah, he, it, it didn't stick at all. Here in California, we uh, are now experiencing our second atmospheric river of the of the year. So yeah, uh, we've been in a drought for a decade now, but uh, we're finally getting it to pour here. So it's uh, it's all welcome. It, I'm telling you, if we go like a month without rain and we had rain we don't get me wrong if we go a month without rain um they they put the drought warnings up like right away for us mm. it's like crazy that they'll do that right they just they just waste no time like drought right. warning i'm like well, we had like 10 days of rain and then we have like <laughs> you know uh but uh all good um so hey aaron why don't we just get right into it and we'll introduce our special guest tonight absolutely all right, so really honored to have this gentleman. I think a lot of folks who follow us in the cigar industry, we've been hearing a lot about this gentleman, uh, but we're honored to have him on the primetime show. He is the master distiller and blender for Blackened Whiskey. He's Mr. Rob Dietrich. Rob, welcome to primetime. Well, it's a pleasure, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, you're, I mean, we're just talking about the weather. You're in Colorado and, I, and the weather's crazy out there. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, one day it might be sunny in 54, which is, is a high of 54 for us. That's like balmy out. We're out in t-shirts in, in, in Colorado. Yeah. And then uh, it'll drop down to 19 degrees and, you know, so it's all over the place. I'm in my kind of back, uh, my back sunroom here and it's, it's pretty cold. I've got a space heater and uh, this is my smoking area. Uh, during the winter anyway so uh, I'm, nice. I'm kind of bundled up <laughs> i really like it i'm like because i'm a i'm much more of a mountain guy than a beach guy and i'm looking at this it's got that rustic feel i'm like i'm into it i i definitely am into it yeah i like the old barnwood i, I you know I'm, I'm a colorado native i grew up here in southern colorado uh just north of telluride i, I just like that old barn feel uh got a couple of typewriters here i turned into some sconces so i just you know I that's like the, awesome. like the weird stuff mm-hmm Totally awesome. Totally awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, no, but we do appreciate you making some time tonight. Um, you know, uh, because, you know, like I said, uh, we've heard of Black and Whiskey. We've heard of Metallica, obviously, but, you know, the cigar industry, uh, this was a big deal when when Drew Estate like, had this project. And we'll certainly get into that. But we want to learn a little about you first, um, for folks who may not know much about you. And we'll, we'll get into that first. But Rob, were you always in um, the distilling uh, realm of the business? Did you do something else before you got into that? I, you know, it's a good question. It's just, this is just one of many lifetimes I feel like I've lived in, in my <laughs> right. my short uh, my short lifetime. Um, uh, yeah, growing up in Colorado, uh, you know, I was kind of in the Denver punk scene for a while, and then thought I'd better get my life together. Joined uh, joined the army. Was very fortunate to uh, be. Um, a member of the the Tenth Mountain, the Army's Tenth Mountain Division, uh, served uh, a couple of tours in Somalia uh, in the early '90s. Served a tour in '94 and got out in '95. So you know we were 
we were ski and mountaineering troops, but uh, all of our deployments were desert and uh, and cities. So it was uh, always an interesting experience that way. Uh, thank you for your service, know, by the way. Say again. Yeah, thank, thank you for you. your service, by the thank way. You, oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I really we appreciate, appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, we appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's it's always a, a strong thing after my heart. There's some uh, some. Uh, um, I always support the veteran community, uh, being a part of it myself, and it's just a, a very close to my heart. Uh, so yeah, you know that was. Uh, uh, a great experience, and then I, you know, when I got out of the the uh, the army, I had built a a 1967 uh, Chevy half size school bus that I built it into a house, and I I literally drove it from upstate New York back to Colorado, visit with the folks for a while, and then out to the Oregon coast. Uh, lived out oh. there for a bit, worked as a carpenter, and uh, ended up in San Francisco on a fluke, uh, and uh, met the uh, the wife of the guy who's running Bill Graham uh, Bill Graham Presents at the time. So I oh, nice. ended up working. Uh, in the music industry, had a had a good career in there uh, for about a decade. Oh wow! Yeah, so uh, you know, after that, it was a, a kind of a varied career all over the place. I uh, got to tour with a lot of great bands, uh, work with a lot of great bands. Oddly enough, uh, worked as a stagehand uh, for Metallica in 1996, just uh, pushing boxes on stage, pulling boxes off the of stage. So, you know, nothing, nothing. Uh, you know, I was just a grunt. Uh, back in those days so oh uh, you, you know there's um a guy in the, you may have heard of him and you probably heard of him in the garden pete johnson of tatawahe uh he went on uh he kind of was a roadie for the jonas brothers like one year he just kind of went on tour with them and was a roadie yeah it's you know it's fun i um i think probably the most prominent tour that i that i went that i enjoyed was uh james brown i, I toured mm. with james for a little while wow the back, the backline guy uh, backline uh, for you know for you, those of you out there unfamiliar with the music industry is that kind of all the equipment that that surrounds so if a band wants to play um, and they don't want to drive their their equipment out they can rent the equipment and then just tour with it in an, a certain area uh, so I was their backline guy for a while I uh, just got to work with a lot of epic people there were still a lot of great bands uh, still I mean amazing bands touring now but there was some of the old school bands were still touring at that time before they were kind of retiring or or, or fading out. So it was, uh, I, I had a very fortunate time period before I got into uh, the distilling uh, business. How did you kind of land from the music business to the distilling business? You know, it was, uh, again, I, I feel like every time there's a, 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 a chance meeting, that's, that's the moment for an opportunity. <laughs> and this was exactly what happened with, uh, with my, my foray into distilling. I, uh, I'm, I, I was into alternative fuel so I had, I had converted a, a, a Mercedes diesel 300D to run off of vegetable oil. Yeah. Uh, so I was getting vegetable oil from restaurants and then, you know, filtering it out. And I had a separate tank and I, I just converted it to run off that. So you could start on diesel, run on vegetable oil. And then my buddy and I decided we're going to make a motorcycle out of a diesel engine. And we took this old Czechoslovakian motorcycle, took an engine from a cement mixer that was a diesel and we uh, we we converted this bike, just chopped up the frame and, and put this thing in there and made a total rat bike out of this diesel. And we could start it on diesel and then turn it over to vegetable oil and get like 400 miles to the gallon on, on that. Thing. Wow. Wow. Uh, you know, it smelled like French fries. And stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I met the uh, the original head distiller for Stranahan's Whiskey. He was working on a motorcycle project at the distillery uh, where he was trying to convert his motorcycle to run off the heads, which is the waste product from distillation. So we kind of thought, well, if we put our two kind of crackpot uh, ideas together, maybe we can come up with a hybrid uh, motorcycle. So he said, well, yeah, I want you to bring your bike down to the distillery. And at the time, I thought, what, there's a distillery in Denver? Like, that's uh, that's pretty mind-blowing. I didn't even think that was a thing. Uh, and that was um, 
I think that was 2007. And as soon as I walked in and saw that large, uh, that giant 800 gallon copper still, I, I was in love. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to learn how to do that. So I left a very lucrative career in the music industry to, uh, to uh, take a severe pay cut to learn how to distill whiskey <laughs> and take on the night shift, uh, the 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. shift for about four years straight. So it's a passion, right? It's a passion. And, and, passion. Wait, wait, and then you went to the cigar business where it's even less, you make less money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and, and I'm used to the rock and roll hours. So uh, right. yeah, it all kind of Yeah, those were uh, the earlier days were, uh, were pretty, um, you know, we, there was like three of us at Stranahan's just working. I was working the night shift for, for a while. So you know, we're, we're wearing all the hats. You're, you're distilling, you're batching, you're, you're getting the bottling line ready. Um, you're, you're cleaning, you know, you're sweeping floors, cleaning toilets. You're just doing it, doing it all. Nice. Coop, nice. Coop uh, do you remember a while back that Jonathan Drew was like really high on Stranahan's? Yes. At, now, now, did you guys it, meet, Rob, did you guys meet? Like previously, we met at Stranahan's. Okay, because okay. so Jonathan was I, I all saw, over this. Yes, now you're saying this, Aaron. Yes. Yeah. I, we I met him and I met uh, Jeff with Corona Cigars there at the same time. Okay. And, okay. And, and, and what's funny is because I was I spent so many times in the uh, so many years in the music industry, I saw Jonathan's dad Gary first. Okay. And I, said, I said that guy looks like he's part of the Rolling Stones, and I know he's not <laughs> the one of the Rolling Stones, but he looks right. like it. Yeah. So he does. I, I went over and I was like, okay, who's in town? I went and looked up. And I was like, okay, Dave Matthews is in town. Uh, who else is playing? I was like, this guy's a musician. I know it. So I just went over and introduced myself. Said, hey, um, I said, you know, I'm, I'm master distiller here. Uh, I know that, you know, I said, you, are you a musician in front of town? He's like, actually, I'm not. He goes, but I'm here with my son. My son really wants to meet you. He's he's really interested in the distilling and whiskey industry. And uh, just hit it off immediately. You know, JD and I were uh you know we spent hours uh, that day just talking whiskey took him on all the little catacombs of the distillery tasting stuff right out of the barrel uh, him and um, him and jeff and, and their their wives and it was just a it was a fun it was a fun first meeting for sure nice yeah no good catch aaron i i completely forgot that now you you just triggered it as soon as you said yeah i mean this is going back about seven eight years ago maybe more yeah yeah it was about 10 years ago yeah, we, uh, we were we were we were talking wow. about it and figuring out you're, like wow we've known each other for over ten years. No, you're right because I think next year is the ten year of uh, the acquisition. So right. yeah, it has to be more. Yeah, it has to be ten years. Yeah, 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 I knew him before the acquisition. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely. Yeah, I remember this came up before the acquisition. Uh, the Stranahan's when he was talking about that. But uh, eventually, but so you kind of honed your craft at Stranahan's basically. You got a chance. It's a, it was a small operation, but you had a chance to really hone your craft. Yeah, you know, it was great because I, you know, I worked from the worked up from the night night distilling position into you know managing the bottling line, uh, managing some of the production, man, you know, operations, uh, then the maintenance operations, and then uh, eventually uh, became the head distiller. And and over time, uh, made my way up to the master distiller position. So it was a it was it was a lot of fun. I got to do a lot of innovations there, mostly cask finishes with our single malt whiskey there, uh, and and that's where you get to kind of throw the rule book out the window and play mm -hmm. around with flavor and 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 really identify how you can meld to, you know a variety of different flavors together, having a base ingredient that's single malt whiskey, but being able to you know little nuances of maybe a sherry cask finish or a cognac cask finish, um, or or you know just kind of whatever I could come up with and. 
and and really blend these things together even though it's the same whiskey so it technically wasn't a blend but i was blending barrel finishes together yeah. and, and creating uh, what we called at the time uh, snowflake and that was we'd only release that at this at the distillery uh and uh, people would line up days in advance camping out on the sidewalk in december <laughs> in colorado uh, for their chance to buy a couple of bottles which wow. for me was always a very humbling experience i always just thought that was the coolest thing that people were, were willing to wait that long and in those kind of conditions for a couple of bottles of whiskey amazing yeah. amazing you mentioned you mentioned you were working like third shift so is that something in the whiskey business that you got it's round the clock shifts that have worked basically um i mean it, it to me it was very efficient because you know if you if you skip a shift at least in our in our case um you know the stills have they, they cool down during that 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 eight hour shift that somebody's gone yeah. so that that person who's got to come back on has got to fire the stills back up and in at, at, you know in the beginning we didn't have these massive boilers that we that we that they do have now but so it, it took a good, good four hours for the stills to really heat up uh, yeah. before we can even start distillation so we just started putting the math together and it just made sense to, to have 24 hours a day um six days a week is what we were doing and that well it was five days in the beginning but that way we didn't have to shut the stills down we could keep the heat going do a heat exchange system and and keep uh, keep our production going yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a lot of, in the cigar business, we don't often see these, like we saw these other shifts with COVID because some of the factories had to reduce capacity. So that was kind of unusual. They saw people working second and third shift in the cigar business. That's why I kind of asked that question. It's, it's, it is, that's one thing that's a little different there. Yeah. I think that was really, uh, for us, it was survival. It was, it was really, you know, we could produce, you know, three more barrels of whiskey a week eventually. And then we added a couple more stills. Now we can produce 12 more barrels of whiskey a week. And and just keeping the keeping the machine running really is what what was essential. Yep. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, but eventually you you moved on, and you went to Sweet Amber Distilling, which is the the which owns the Black and Brand. So yeah, how, Black and American whiskey. So um, how did that move all come about? You know, I I was uh, I I'd, I'd heard rumors about it. You know, we're it's a small industry, just like uh, the cigar industry. Everybody kind of knows uh, they hear little rumors here and there, even though word isn't supposed to get out somewhere. Right. I had heard uh, I'd heard that I'd heard that Metallica was interested in creating a whiskey, and uh, I had a friend who was was friends with James Hetfield or is friends with James Hetfield, uh, who lives here in Colorado, and he had he had called me up. He's like, hey man, I. Uh, you know, keep this low key, but you know, the, the, you know, Metallica's thinking about starting up a whiskey. Do you know anything about this Dave Pickerel guy? And, uh, and of course, you know, Dave Pickerel is a legendary craft distiller who had his, his hands in countless brands all over, all over the country, all over the world. And, uh, and I said, yeah, I mean, they're in, they've got their, you know, they're, they're in the right hands with Dave. I mean, Dave knows exactly what he's doing. Um, he's going to create them something really good. And, you know, I said, uh, you know, love to throw my hat in if, uh, if he needs an assistant distiller or, <laughs> or, 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 you know, just wants to, to play around and, and create something uh, unusual. So, uh, you know, this was an original collaboration between Dave and the band because, uh, you know, the band really understood that it was important to create a whiskey that was going to stand on its own. Right. They didn't want to go to a large distillery that was already existing and have them create um, something and just slap a Metallica name on it and create this, you know, Metallica line. They wanted to own it outright and and under and and work with someone who knew exactly what they were doing about making whiskey. And uh, and and they really did start out, uh, um, you know, on the ground running with uh, with Dave. And uh, you know, Dave 
Dave created the original recipe. Um, you know, I've had the, um, uh, the the ability to to tweak the recipe and mess with it just like anybody would with uh, any kind of blend. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna change over time, and I always try and change it. So you're always trying to outdo the last blend and, and make it better and make right. it better and make it better. So uh, you know, and and very unfortunately, um, you know, three months after Black and Whiskey launched, Dave passed away at a whiskey fest in San Francisco, and I I happened to be there. Uh, I, I happened to be in the lobby. Actually, saw the ambulance and the and the and the the, the gurney go up and we were like, wow, this, this doesn't look good. We don't know who, we didn't know who it was, but we're a very close knit community. We all know who mm -hmm. each other are. We all know which projects we're working on. And as soon as I heard that it was Dave, it was just, you know, it was heartbreaking for our whole community, our whole industry. Uh, so we held uh, a moment of silence for him there at, um, at the whiskey fest in San Francisco. Uh, that was in 2018, uh, November 1st. And then uh, December of that same year, I was at whiskey fest, New York. And I, I went over to give my condolences to the, the black and American whiskey team at their booth and their director of sales, um, you know, he pulled me aside and we talked about it for a while. And he said, look, he goes, I know this may seem very sudden, but he goes, I have been a huge fan of everything you've done at Stranding Hands. I love what you did with Snowflake and the cask finishing. He goes, you've got that rock and roll background. He goes, I think you would be perfect for uh, to, to be the master distiller at black. And is that something you would consider? And I, I said, well, hell yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean there's, it, to, to have the opportunity to work with one of my favorite bands, uh, to work on the innovation that blackened whiskey that I, you know, I tasted, was very impressed with, uh, and, and understanding, uh, you know, wrapping my mind around the black noise sonic enhancement process. So many little aspects to it that I was intrigued by. Um, so I said, yeah, I would absolutely love to, uh, you know, I'd love to throw my hat in the ring for sure. And that's where it started. That was, I mean, they were, they were interviewing a number of different distillers. Uh, you know, I, it was as I as I went through the uh, the interview process. Um, it was you know, um, you know, the, the, the second the first time I interviewed, they're like, oh, we, we've got uh, ten you know ten distillers we're looking at right now. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, well that's that's cool. They're they're, they're probably going to find somebody who's got their own distillery because if I left Stranding Hands, I wouldn't have my own distillery. So I thought, well, it'd be cool just to you know just to see how this process goes. Uh, you know, and then the second interview was like, yeah, we're, we're, we're down to six. And, uh, and then my last interview, my final interview was with the band and, uh, and they said, and, and the, and it was my understanding prior to that there, they had it narrowed down to three guys. And I thought, okay, so I'm going to be one of three guys who are going to be interviewing with the band. So I, you know, I rented a car in Portland, Oregon, and just rode down, drove, took a road trip down the highway one down the coast from, uh, from Oregon down to California down to the band's headquarters and um, and interviewed with each one of the uh, members of the band individually. And it was, it was such an incredible experience. I had in my mind, like, look, it doesn't even matter if I, if I get this job um, I know that this is going to be a really cool experience. And, yeah. and uh, I got to tell you, it was probably one of the, the best days of my life when, when James Hatfield said, you gave me this challenge coin that it was a Metallica coin that said, I am family. And oh, wow. uh, gave me a hug and he said, welcome to the family. So I, uh, that was uh, a life-changing experience, right there. Wow! Awesome. But you, you, when, but you knew Metallica. Did, did you have a deep relationship with them before this this happened? What no, did I, I didn't. I actually, okay. I had never met the band when I stage handed for them. I was just a grunt pushing boxes. So okay, you know, I was uh, a fly on the wall and, and got to experience a really cool experience back then and watch uh, watch Metallica from the side stage on stage. So. Uh, I was grateful for that as a memory, but uh, being able to come full circle from my music business career, managing bands, managing venues, uh, to be able to work directly with the band 
uh, create some, you know, some of my greatest passions are, are music, uh, music, whiskey, cigars. And now everything's just coming right into yep. the, the dream job within the dream job. So <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for, uh, for, for, for my life right now. Oh, that's, that's an awesome story there. Um, and then you mentioned Dave Piccaro. Uh, he was a legendary figure. Um, but in terms of you come in now and you take on this role and you're, you're, you have to maintain this brand, you have to maintain this vision, but at the same time, you have to stay true to your beliefs and vision. What was it like doing that? You know, it's, um, you know, in the very beginning, I, I, I got asked a lot, like, uh, you know, what's it like to, you know, that's some big shoes to fill. What, yeah. you know, what, what's, yeah. um, how, how does that feel? And, you know, I said, look, I, you know, Dave's legacy is his legacy. Those are his shoes. Um, those are his shoes and I, those are not my shoes to fill. I bring my own shoes and I'll always honor his legacy for everything that he's done with this brand. And to me, that's, that's the most important as a, as a steward of the brand. Um, but it was also important that I brought my, my own skill set, my own, my own quirky, uh, uh, you know, playbook of ideas to, uh, to the table as well. So, uh, you know, for me, it's always very important to honor his legacy and to also um, have the freedom to be able to uh, have some artistic freedom to create uh, to create new and unusual whiskeys. Yeah, yeah. But you, your job also was to maintain the consistency of that original blackened product too. Yeah, and I think you know again with a blend, there's always um, you know blends are going to change over time. You yep, know, yeah. this is a, this is a blend of five different whiskeys, uh, and and really it's it's important for me to to always maintain that the the quality and consistency of the flavor profile. Uh, but some of those, you know, some of those whiskey sources might change. Um, and so it's, a, it's, it's my job as a, as a blender to ensure that those, those blends and those different whiskeys that I do bring um, will not only um, match the quality, but, you know, hopefully sur surpass. And, and you're always trying to evolve your blend uh, as into something better. Yeah. So, we go ahead. Barry. I got a, a follow-up question, Coop. Yep. So, so Rob, um, kind of trying to compare the, you know, the whiskey distilling industry versus the cigar industry on the cigar side, uh, a blend over time is the consumers are, you know, expecting something to be very consistent uh, over time, even though, you know, crops every year can change and things like that. But kind of in the whiskey industry, you, you have like, you have batches and I feel like in you have the, there's a bit of a understanding or kind of acceptance that, you know, there can be variances between batches and that's okay. Just because that's kind of the nature of the business. Is that kind of a, a, a that, correct way to look at it? Yeah, you always want to maintain that base profile, but you know, and to your point, every batch is going to be just a little bit different. And you know, I can dive into the sonic enhancement part of it. Sonic enhancement is going to change um, the the flavor profile just by interaction with the wood. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, like normal aging, uh, you you have the the pores of the wood, so you char the inside of a barrel, and that that, that creates a caramelized band of sugar and flavor. Uh, right there at the burn surface. So in the heat of the day, the pores of the wood are open. The spirit is going to interact with the wood and, and pick up those flavors when it's cold at night. It expels it back out into the belly of the barrel. So it's it's almost like a, a like a living, breathing thing. Right. And with natural aging over time, you're going to get that color. You're going to get all that flavor from that from that burn surface. With the sonic enhancement process that we apply, uh, which is as a very you know it's an innovation that I think we, we really dove deep with some science behind it. We worked with Meyer sound, who is the sound company who creates that wall of sound for Metallica. And, and what we're trying to replicate and have replicated is, you know, you think of 
anytime you've been at a concert and you've walked in front of a speaker and you feel that, that vibration, yeah. in your chest, it's yep. that motion, that movement, we wanted to replicate that inside the barrel. So during normal aging, now you're moving rapidly in, in the barrel and getting a lot more interaction and deeper and penetrating past what we call the red line. So that red line is where you're going to get a deeper, richer flavor from the wood. Um, you're going to get a lot more color from it. And in order to really understand scientifically how, how that worked, we, we had a control barrel that we kept in one room of, of the same whiskey, all the same lot of whiskey, same age of whiskey, same kind of whiskey. One was in a room that was isolated and two were in another room that had sonic enhancement uh, at a frequency, a very low frequency set by Meyer Sound to create this, that, that very low subtone subwoofer bass frequency inside the wood. And we took samples every, every other week and we, were, and we sent all those samples off to, to the lab. And over 60 days, we were able to see the difference, a very significant difference. You're looking for nine different flavor profile markers called the Oak Aroma Panel uh, from the barrel, from the whiskey in the wood. And we, we, we mapped the, 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 the control barrel and the two sonic enhanced barrels, and we were able to see a significant change in the sonic enhanced barrels. They were all elevated in that. And that, uh, for us, was the, the very first scratching of the surface and proof that our sonic enhancement, which we call black noise, um, actually works. So we're, you know, we're, we're, not trying to, we're not trying to replace aging. Uh, right. I'm, I'm working on some, some, uh, some tests to, to see if, if we can, at some point, you know, start out with new make spirit and use our process to, to rapid age. But that's not what we're claiming to do at, at, at all. You know, that's why we call right. it an enhancement uh, mm -hmm. because whiskey is already aged uh, by the time we put it in our in our brandy finishing barrels but that's where we apply our black noise sonic enhancement process at that time is this are these generated sound waves or is it actually music that's that's going in there this is the this is the fun part this is where we bring uh, the metallica factor back into play so you know if you if you look on the top of a of a, of a blackened bottle there's a batch number up here. I was going to ask you about uh, that. For yeah. example, this is, uh, this is 126. So that batch number, every playlist is selected by the band. And of course we use Metallica music. So every playlist is different and unique. And you can go on blackandwhiskey.com. You can look up that batch number. And right next to it is a Spotify icon or an Apple iTunes icon. And you can download that playlist that was used to sonically enhance the batch of whiskey that you are. Oh, wow. Enjoying. That's cool. That is really cool. That and it's cool if, that people can go do that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a lot of fun, and I think you know if you're, um, you know if you're, kind of any kind of engineering nerd, it's it's exciting. If you're a whiskey nerd, it's exciting. If you're a Metallica fan, it's exciting. You know, it it really kind of brings everybody into the same room on the same level, and uh, and we all get to enjoy the, the you know the the same kind of thing out of this innovation, and, and you know in, in a in an industry, and, and just like the cigar world, their uh, tradition is is paramount. You know, mm -hmm. tradition and consistency. And when you when you start doing something weird and off the book, it, it takes a little bit for people to look at it and, and say, "Okay, what the hell are you doing over there? What is that? What's going yeah. on here?" And and that's what we wanted. We wanted people to to scrutinize it and question it and tear it apart because we we've been very excited and proud of the fact that this thing actually works. And that's you know, at first, it was, you know, just like anything, it's going to be a concept. And then when you start playing around with the concept and you get um, uh, confirmation that this actually works, that's when you can take it to the next level. Yeah. That, that is awesome. That is really awesome. I mean, it's, 
really kind of putting the band into the whole project. If you think about that, that's, that's great. Yeah. And they love that. I mean, and again, you know, we worked with, you know, it was all the professionals were in the room. You've got your, you got your whiskey makers, you've got your, you got your, your, your professional musicians, you got your professional sound guys and all, everybody's throwing their ideas at it and really trying to um, find that, that sweet spot to, to really make this thing work. And that's, that's what was exciting is coming to that point of innovation and realizing we've got something here. Yeah, that is, that is really, that is really good. Now this process was already worked on before you got there, right? It was, um, you know, again, I think it was three months after Dave passed away. Um, and we were, you know, we had the initial test that we did and then I did my own tests, uh, as well, because I wanted to identify and I've got a whole other series of tests that I'm lining up, uh, to, to test out new make spirit uh, in the barrel, um, different, uh, different, uh, environments, different, um, um, different humidity levels. You know, there's, there's, there's so many different factors that can yeah. happen into, uh, into, uh, into aging in the first place. And then you add sonic enhancement. And I think when you, when anytime there's an innovation, there's just going to be constant research, constant research. And that's what we're, that's what we're doing. So we, you know, we know the initial, uh, the initial process works. I want to see you know, uh, you know, just like Spinal Tap says, I want to see if we can take this thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, There are so the black and whiskey. Uh, there's the there's, that's one of the core lines. Are there any other core lines that that are made besides um the, the black and American whiskey that you have? Yeah. So we call that the flagship. That is a blend of, of bourbon and rye. Uh, and then we cast finish that in brandy casks. Uh -huh. uh, and then, uh, you know, I've, I've had a, like I said, I've had a playbook of, of different finishes and different ideas that I've been wanting to play around with. And one of those is the masters of whiskey series. Yep. And it's that, that's where I will partner up with a, another master distiller and we'll, we'll just, you know, our, our day-to-day -day job is to always maintain that quality consistent you know, and keep production going, uh, and, and ensure that we've got the best whiskey going out. Um, but with the masters of whiskey, we get to play around and kind of let our hair down a little bit and have some fun. And, uh, you know, my very first one out of the gate, I worked with Drew Colesveen, uh, the master distiller and owner of Willet Distillery, uh, one of the owners there. And I, uh, it was so fun, so much fun working with, with, with Drew because I, I am a, I'm a big Willet whiskey fan in the first place. I, I absolutely love their rye. And uh, when we came up with the idea and, we, and we, we pitched it to him, he said, yes, absolutely. Let's do something. Let's have some fun. So we, uh, he said, well, you know, what can, what do you want? What kind of whiskey are you interested in doing? You know, I said, well, you know, I, I would love to do a rye. And he said, uh, all right, well, I'm going to send you a bunch of, he's like, I was like a kid in a candy store. He's like, well, we'll take some of these four year, these five years, six year, all the way up to eight year. And I'll send you a bunch of samples out and you can kind of try them out ahead of time. Um, so you get a, a, an idea of what we have available and then let's have you come out to the distillery and we'll just play around with it. And um, of course, right about that time was March, 2020 uh, and yeah. the entire world <laughs> shut down. And that was, uh, uh, but we kept the project going. You know, we, uh, I went out to Louisville travel during an uncertain time and I went out to Bardstown, which is where Willett is. And uh, they, they have this, this 300 year old, old mansion uh that's that's kind of their guest house it's in town and uh and they said well you, you can stay there you got the whole place to yourself and uh, we're going to do our tasting there we can't bring you on site because of policy because of yeah. covid so um 
I showed up at this mansion. I, I, I left Louisville in a car in the probably one of the nastiest rain and lightning storms I've been in in years. And I couldn't hardly see the road. I had to pull over a couple of times because it was just so, so much rain and, and I, the windshield wipers couldn't keep up. And I pull in, I pull up in front of this big mansion with the lightning crashing behind it. And I'm like, <laughs> you got to be kidding. I'm staying in a haunted mansion by myself. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the first night of this thing. And that's what I did. I walked in there and like, first thing I did was like, there's nobody in this whole thing. You know, it's just me and big winding staircase going up four stories. And I'm, and I, you know, I grab a kitchen, I grab a big chef's knife from the kitchen. We went, okay, like, what's going on up here? And I, you know, I clear the house because you know that's a military thing to do. Yeah. Uh, right, right. And um, and then I go into the dining room, and there's just this big long table, and there's over, <clears throat> I think, 35 different expressions of the Willet mm. were laid out. And uh, that next morning, when when Drew came, showed up, we just sat there and just started tasting and working, and we really found that our our palates were very much aligned and very similar. Uh, so it was, it was exciting. That was the beginning of our masters of whiskey series. <clears throat> Excuse me. Our second, uh, uh, the second uh, iteration of that was, I, I was very fortunate to work with a friend of mine, uh, uh, Wes Henderson, uh, the, the, the founder of angels envy. And uh, we created a, a, a beautiful Kentucky bourbon uh, white port cask finish. And that oh, was, nice. uh, that's on shelves right now. You can actually yep. find that out in the market. Um, and then I've got uh, I've got my third uh, rendition. I'm working with another Kentucky distiller. I, I can't uh, disclose who that is yet. Uh, we haven't announced that, but that will be out later this year. And I've already got next year lined up and working on 2025 as well. So it's for us, it's really exciting to be able to work with some of these guys. And it's exciting. I know for them to be able to 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 play around with some of these flavor profiles and and create something special. And that's uh, that's 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 just some of the innovations that we're doing. Uh, and, you know, and further, you know, we're, we're always we're always trying to create something. Um, I created a uh, and we and it was just low hanging fruit. We could not pass up uh, the opportunity to uh, release a rye called Rye the Lightning. I was asking uh, about that. Yep. <laughs> so anybody who's familiar with the uh, with the Metallica discography, Ride the Lightning is, is one of their yep. more epic, uh, epic. Yep. I, one of my favorite albums. I mean, I can say that about almost any of them. Um, and we, uh, we actually sonically enhanced that batch. I did a Madeira cask finish and a rum cask finish with a, mm. with a rye. And then uh, we, we, the sonic enhancement, we, uh, we used, we played a live recording of the band. The only time they've ever played Ride the Lightning album in its entirety at a, at a, a, a festival, but they actually played it the last song first all the way to the first song from the record. So they, they did it in reverse. And that's the, the playlist we use for Ride of Lightning. Very cool. That, that's cool. And it was also a black album whiskey that you guys did, right? For them, the we black did. album. Um, it was, uh, I think it was the, oh, what was it? The 30th anniversary, 30th anniversary of, of, of the black album. We, uh, we played the black album uh, in its entirety uh, for that cask finish and did a special release. The band did a really cool thing, a cool project where they, they, uh, they, they, had musicians from all over the world record their favorite black uh, black album song, and they made a I think it was 50, 50, 53 artists were mm -hmm. on this 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 album, and every single one of those artists it was anyone any, anyone from Miley Cyrus to uh, now there's this great Mongolian death metal band that were just like just <laughs> it was it was epic and it was so cool to just see what people come up with and. And you know, Elton John uh, played piano with Miley Cyrus, and Yo-Yo Ma played the cello. 
for and they sang nothing else matters it was really oh, wow, really wow that's cool uh the first time i heard that song james played it for me uh james hetfield played it for me on his phone uh while we were smoking smoking cigars on his back deck and i was like wow that's this is incredible and he showed me he goes he goes i'm getting goosebumps right now he was so like blown yeah. away he's like i never would have thought to sing it like that or right. to play it like that so it was really exciting for them and for us we got to we got to have some fun with the with the black album as well and uh, and do a special release that's awesome that's awesome you know in the cigar industry we see a lot of limited editions and to be honest in, it's kind of gotten a little saturated right now with the amount of limited editions in cigars on the whiskey end is is it saturated or is it kind of right now it's not saturated what, what's kind of the, the pulse of that right now i think for any whiskey lover out there can never be enough whiskey or enough types of whiskey i think there's always going to be something you're like oh that sounds interesting that sounds unusual um i remember somebody using like an acacia wood uh finish and i was like wow i, I wouldn't have thought of acacia wood you know i thought about right. doing like an aspen wood if you've ever smelled a fresh cut aspen tree it has a very kind of um almost like a sickly sweet smell to it and i i, yeah. I thought about doing a an aspen uh, stave finish at one point and then a friend of mine did it, um, uh -huh. a local Colorado distiller uh, buddy of mine. I, I just saw it out there one day. I was like, damn it, I missed uh, missed my window. <laughs> but yeah. not necessarily, don't necessarily miss your window. You just, you know, you just, somebody else did it first, but you could always do it your way. Yep, absolutely. Uh, like Frank Sinatra, right? Yeah, wow. e exactly, exactly. No, so this is a, so a lot of exciting projects you've gotten going on. And you, you really, in, in a short time, have been able to take this brand to different levels. So I think that's a great some great concepts you've brought in in a very short amount of time, Rob, that's, that's really good to hear. Well, you know, I've got some other, you know, I've got some other fun stuff I'm working on. I've got some other, you know, what I call my crackpot schemes. Um, the, you know, crackpot schemes have, uh, have carried me well through, uh, through, through my life. So <laughs> yep. I'm going to, I'm just going to keep uh, digging into the crackpot scheme uh, playbook. <laughs> nice. Rob, we normally ask this question, the first question of the interview, but I, I pushed it back a little. Because as we start to transition into cigars, and you are a cigar smoker, do you remember your first cigar experience? Yes, that was that was in the army. Okay, um, and I believe I, that was in uh, Kenya. Uh, wow. When when I was in Somalia, we had uh, we had a, a week of R and R in Mombasa, Kenya, and uh, and I, you know, we had you know, even though I was a a PFC, which is like low guy on the totem pole, like you're, you know, you know, ranks, you know, third rank from the bottom. Um, in Kenya, our our money was like we had a roll of cash because we weren't we weren't spending it in in you know in, in Somalia. Yeah. So we we had all our money saved up in this roll of cash, and we felt like we were we were ballers. You know, we were out um, you know having fun, and and uh, and somebody somebody got a hold of some cigars, and I thought, well, this is this is cool, and you know, and you're you're gonna you know, I was a cigarette smoker at the time. And uh, mm -hmm. so it, it, the learning curve for a cigarette smoker to smoke a cigar without <laughs> knowing painful. that you don't take a full inhale. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you want to talk about roll your eyeballs up into your brain. And, yeah. you know, I, I learned very quickly that you, know, you don't do a full inhale like you do right. a cigarette. Yeah. Uh, you, you enjoy it in a very different way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, it, I actually came in with cigars primarily first. So I, I, I didn't have it, but I know people who've kind of done that. So I've seen it. 
it, it, it's a common scenario that that happens because you know With, yeah without a doubt every once in a while i still get like a little you know cigarette uh like you know reptilian brain like yeah. stutter step in there somewhere do you, so um when did you become a regular smoker or an occasional cigar smoker as a result you know, of that? i was uh, I, I you know again i was a cigarette smoker so it was definitely occasional in the beginning uh, and then I just started, I was like, you know, I, I just wanted to get, get away from cigarettes uh, because I, I just, I, I just didn't like the, you know, the, the kind of pack a day kind of need for it. I wanted to enjoy something. I wanted to be able to enjoy it and go kind of take it to a different quality level. Right. Um, and that's, that's really where cigars started working for me. And, uh, and then I, you know, I started smoking, I probably because I'm a big, you know, Clint Eastwood fan, I started smoking like cigarillos and, and then, yeah. you know, working from there into finding what I, what I liked. And, uh, you know, I started with, you know, kind of, uh, kind of the punch size and then, and then kind of moving into um, different sizes. Like tonight I'm smoking a Robusto, which I, I, I generally don't have enough time to smoke a, a Robusto or a Toro size. Um, you know, I, I like the Corona size because that's generally the amount of time I've got. Right. Uh, but, but if I've got some time for like some fellowship, uh, like, you know, John, uh, like, you know, James has this uh, Thursday night fellowship, you know, around a fire fire pit up at his house in, in uh, the mountains. And uh, and that, that's when I can actually smoke, a, a you know, take some time, smoke a longer cigar. So I, I've learned to be able to take the time to smoke the longer cigar because you may not always have the time. But if you take the time, um, life is better. Yeah. Nice. So you this this collaboration forms, you knew some of the players. How did the how did the three of you, Jonathan, you and Rob, how did this all come about? How did you guys get to the table here? Who kind of was the impetus to kind of drive this? Well, you know, Jonathan and I had talked about, you know, we had talked about doing a cigar possibility when I was at Stranahan's. Um, and then he was he became really fixated on on the spirits industry. Yep. And yep. Uh, and and we really started kind of our we kind of met in that in that realm in you know enjoying cigars but but it was it was about the whiskey it was about right. you know really dissecting how, what it would take to to create a distillery so we did some traveling around i went i went down to nicaragua with with jonathan and we we did some mapping out we drove all over nicaragua looking for the right spot to to create a distillery and uh we, we went to um uh, puerto rico you know we checked out a few locations uh to to see if you know if this was even a possibility and, you know, because this, these just go hand in hand. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and it really seemed like a good next step. Um, and then, you know, from there, we talked about doing a, you know, doing a possible collaboration cigar with, uh, we talked about doing, uh, you know, the tobacco aging and, and uh, uh, you know, in the, in the barrel, the, the whiskey barrel, doing the compressing. And we, we just, uh, um, you know, it, it wasn't going to happen at Strandy Hands. There just was, uh, it just, you know, just not something that they, they wanted to do at the time. And uh, I honestly, it really couldn't have better a better time uh, than to be able to, uh, to do this with Blackened. And I think, you know, predominantly because, you know, James Hetfield is such a, um, uh, such a um, amazing musician but he also has this passion for cigars he, he's been smoking them for for a long time i remember seeing him in 1996 um backstage smoking a cigar directly after their set i that's a that's a memory that i have yeah. so you know this is a you know a lifetime of, of his his passion for cigars and during covid 
um, you know, I, I live down here in Denver. He lives up in the mountains. He couldn't tour. The band couldn't tour. I couldn't do my normal road, you know, road whiskey road show, basically. And uh, so I started spending a lot of time uh, up in uh, at his house on, on the back porch. He had a deck just overlooking this valley. And we would sit there and smoke cigars and talk about family, talk about life, talk about um, you know, just truly connecting about the world and, and, and our own thoughts. And, and uh, over this time, we really connected over our mutual love of uh, vintage motorcycles, uh, vintage, vintage cars, uh, rat rod projects, and our, our love of cigars. And so I, I, I had the idea, I was thinking, you know, like, this would be a great collaboration. So I, you know, I brought the idea. I was like, what do you think about making a cigar? And he said, yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. So well, I said, I'll reach out to my, my buddy, Jonathan, to see if we can we can all jump on a call together and talk about, you know, the, even the possibility. And, uh, and it was really kind of born from that, that mutual passion uh, that we all have uh, for, for cigars and, uh, and that fellowship. And, and that was, uh, that was a almost two year project working through COVID. Um, it was great to, you know, Jonathan Drew and, and his team, he's got a great team there. These guys have really been phenomenal working with our, our team at Black End Whiskey um and and identifying what uh, what we wanted so they they were sending out almost everything that they make and uh and uh james and i started keeping our own cigar journals you know writing about what we liked what's uh what flavor profiles we liked what we liked about one but didn't like about the other or you know and finding those sweet spots and so we really had a pretty good idea of what what we were looking for and a lot of this was really based off of of you know, James is, James is really leans towards that Maduro dark, um, right. you know, that dark uh, tobacco. And I, I think honestly, it kind of shifted. I started tasting things I, I, that I realized I like, and I didn't realize that I liked until I started keeping a journal on it. Yeah. And, I, and then I was like, Oh, wait, wait, this is, this is, this is incredible. And a journal goes a long way and, you know, for anybody identifying or trying to identify what they like or what they don't like. Right. Same goes for whiskey. You know, some people absolutely love rye, and, and, and maybe bourbon's a little too sweet for them, or they love both. Some people absolutely just don't like rice. It's too spicy, too earthy. Um, and, I, and I really encourage people, if you're trying to, to get into something that you love, like whiskey or cigars, you know, keep a little journal uh, anytime you try something new and, and really identify what you liked about it and, and, uh, and hopefully hone in what you, what you love. What are, what are particular roles and responsibilities during this process where you guys just all kind of giving input, iterating through Jonathan on that. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were providing input, you know, I was, I was definitely leaning more on what, what, what appealed to James. Um, you know, I think that was, that was more important for me. Um, and I, I was, you know, so kind of supporting in, in that and identifying flavors and we could, we could riff back and forth on like, okay, so this, this, I like these dark chocolate notes. Let's, let's head for this dark chocolate and, and it's like the way I blend a whiskey. I'll start with a, a base profile in mind and know what I'm looking for and know what I want to layer in and add to support that base flavor. Right. And that's really where the, uh, the identity kind of came in because we started talking about the layer. We, we, we had come across, you know, this dark chocolate kind of like center, then where do we, where do we layer in the flavor uh, in that? You know, so you know, with the, you know, with the wrapper being a, a Mexican San Andreas, uh, the binder being a Connecticut broadleaf, then you've got the Nicaraguan and Pennsylvania broadleaf uh, Ligero. 
that's the that's the filler. You know, all those things really support each other as as a you know as a uh, again, I think in whiskey terms, so I think about layering and I think about layering profile, starting with that core flavor. Yeah. And this was a little bit like Drew Estate is known for the Maduros, but um, this was different in that it was their their realm into an all Maduro cigar, which is something they hadn't done before. Well, I got to tell you, um, one of one of the guys uh, that that I uh, that I'm, you know, I'm a, uh, good friends with and, and absolutely respect uh, Joshua Roku came up with this uh, this concept of Maduro to the core, right? And that just rang the that <laughs> rang the, the roof off the off the house. You know, like it is it is literally Maduro to the core. You can't you you couldn't you couldn't describe it any better than that. Um, and that's I think um, it speaks for itself when you when you actually smoke it. Right, right. It's it's definitely like I said. It, it it's very different than what they've done as far as that goes. Um, and uh for sure but it was a long process right this was something over like you said a couple this was not a few months this was over a long period of time like you said a few years it was a couple of years yeah this yeah. was a couple of years of trying to identify that profile um getting the package down um understanding what our, our you know production just like in whiskey you've got to get your dry goods you've got to get your production in place um and that takes some time was there ever a consider like we see collaborations with whiskey and cigars and some are meant to be more of a um what's the word i'm looking for more of a lifestyle collaboration which i think this would fall under but there's some that will actually use the whiskey barrels for aging was there ever consideration for maybe using some of that whiskey you're aging the tobacco in that wood that yeah you guys i mean use? that was certainly one of the first things i thought it was like oh man it'd be cool to do something within you know with the with the black and whiskey barrels um but i i also want to respect everyone has they, they come they come to the, the table with different skill sets right. and different needs and uh you know um not all of the band members in in, in metallica are, are drinkers and right. so i wanted to respect that and and kind of steer away from the alcohol aspect they you know the band understands that uh not all of their fans drink and so and, and many of them do so they wanted to uh to to you know just um open this up to everyone to be able to enjoy the whiskey, to be able to, to enjoy if you, uh, if you imbibe, if you don't, uh, there's no judgment there. So uh, I wanted to, I wanted to be very uh, careful about uh, the alcohol aspect of it mm -hmm. and really focus more on what the cigar itself can bring. Right. Right. So, you know, if you're a Metallica fan, it, this is something that can extend, but maybe not a drinker. It's, it's, it's a perfect thing. Hey, exactly. If you're, you know, that's, I think that's the beauty. This is, uh, you know, this is, um, you know, something that, that I was able to connect with James on. And that's why I really wanted him to, to have the kind of the full run with it and, and, and really kind of um, layer in with him, my, my opinion and, and what I thought and what I liked based on the way I approach making a whiskey. Uh, so I really feel like with that skill set from, from my whiskey making side, his, uh, his many years of enjoying cigars, uh, it really was kind of perfect storm. And of course, then, then we bring the, the, the Jonathan Drew uh, effect in, and, uh, and that is, you know, that's where it all ties together. All of our personalities, so very different. And at the same time, uh, finding this really beautiful common ground that we all believe in and understand and, uh, and, and, can, and can celebrate together. So this was, a, this was an incredible collaboration through, between some really skilled people um, and, and people that I, I personally love and, uh, and, and am dear friends with. So I, yep. it's, it's like, it's like, you know, some buddies got together to create their, their passion project. And that's exactly mm -hmm. what this is. 
I got to give you guys credit because usually keeping a secret in the cigar industry is one of the worst <laughs> things done. Like no one can keep a secret. You guys, this was kept a secret. So, Well, and, and also in the music industry, you know, it, it's hard to keep a secret when there's a new yeah. album coming out. We've known that their, their new album was coming out for a long time and that didn't get out there. So Metallica is used to keeping secrets and, and, and holding them tight. Um, you know, whiskey industry, we're, we're very careful about our, you know, our projects sure. side uh, and, and learning to, to be careful about what we say and where we say it. And uh, I would say with the, with the cigar industry, especially something this cool and this fun, it was so hard not to talk about it, not to tell your friends, not to tell them what was going yeah. on. Um, you know, like if, if I had a priest, I probably wouldn't have even confessed it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it surprised me, too, because Jonathan, I always knew him as a hip hop guy. So I didn't see this. I never, like, I know Jonathan, but I didn't know he had, you know, it surprised me because, you know, Jonathan's a hip hop guy. He's done some hip hop collaborations with Shady Records and stuff. So I was, I, I was a little surprised, but yeah, I wasn't because I knew Jonathan liked music. He, he also is a Metallica fan. Uh, yeah. Was, that when, uh, when he first started talking to James, the, I think the first, first Metallica show he went to was in Brooklyn. Uh, and I think he, he named the year, the, the, the show and, uh, he, you know, so, you know, he's, he's also a Metallica fan. So we know, you know, we know his, his passion for hip hop. Um, and, but there's also that, uh, that, that metal side that uh, he, uh, he was got, he got to embrace and, and really kind of come full circle with. Nice. Nice. Did, you know, going through this, uh, there's obviously some similarities and differences be, uh, between distilling and cigar making. What, what are some of the things you picked up as far as similarities and differences go? I think the first thing is how long, the leaves have to ferment, you know, how they've got to, they've got to sit there in that, in that pile. And, and, you know, that the age, you know, the aging, the, the, the ferment, the fermentation process um, is kind of like, it's, it's not on some, you know, it's not so similar than, than aging uh, in a barrel, aging whiskey in a barrel. So you put new make spirit into a barrel. It's clear. It's, it's yeah. clear. It looks like vodka. It's, it's, it looks like water, right. like a viscosity, a thicker viscosity water. And it's, it's, you know, there's, there's, with with making cigars there's age and fermentation on the front end uh for whiskey you make whiskey in in a a matter of a a week and then their aging is on the back end so it's yeah. just a matter of like you're just adjusting that age um uh time time frame but they're very similar and you know it's all about the quality it's always about uh the ingredients are are first and foremost you know for when i was making single malt whiskey you're, it, it's, it's only four ingredients. It's, it's, it's malt barley, um, yeast, water, and time in the barrel. That's all, you know, you can simplify it down to four ingredients. Uh, but the, to get to those points, you have to have, you have to start with the best ingredients. You have to start with the best water. And I think the same attention to detail is in the cigar industry. You're starting out with the best leaf. You're looking, you know, you're, you're, you're scoping the veins on, on the, on, on the leaf, you're looking for the best quality product to be able to put it all together. So it's, it's, it's very similar uh, in, in both of our industries. Yep. So I was going to ask you to my next question. I think you may have answered it. Like, what were some surprises you learned about us making a cigar? I mean, it sounds like that may have been one of them for sure. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I definitely, you know, I, I always smoked, but I hadn't really like ever dove deep on the process and, you know, going down to Nicaragua and, and really having a, a, a eye-opening experience and understanding, you know, I think that's what's so great about, uh, about uh, Drew Estates uh, Safari is that you can go down and actually 
have a better understanding of how this process works. And for me, uh, it was really understanding that the soil was important, the light, how much sun you're getting throughout the year, um, the, the environment of the room that you're rolling in. Um, you know, like the Liga Pravada 9 is in its own separate room off to the yep. side. And I thought that was so intriguing that uh, you, you, you really have to identify how and why you have to make these changes in, in order to get the best quality product at the end. Uh, and I was always a Liga Provada before uh, the, the blackened uh, M81. I, I've always been a Liga Provada 9 as a kind of a go-to tree yeah. cigar for me. And uh, um, and so it's 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 really nice to be able to have a better understanding of, of how that works and really, for me, equate it to how I make whiskey. Nice, nice. Um, I'll ask this question. Was there any consideration during, or maybe maybe this is the future, but that sonic enhancement process of tying it in somehow with the cigar making. It's still always an idea. Cause I was trying to wrap my head around how we could do that. Yeah. You know, because you've got to, for us, the sonic enhancement process is moving the whiskey further into the wood, doing it at a rapid pace. Um, you know, that, that was really key. Like, you know, it's critical. I know, I know my, my, uh, it's probably hard to see that it kind of looks like a black blob right there. But this is a this is an actual sound wave right here. So there's peaks and valleys going on. Uh, it's actually a, um, an actual sound wave of James Hetfield singing the word blackened, which is one of their songs. Wow. Um, but this representation, the physical representation of peaks and valleys is the physical represent, representation of the motion of sound, the movement of sound. So moving it in and out of the barrel makes sense. You're, you're picking up more out of the wood. So trying to equate that into a cigar without putting the leaf into a barrel per se. Um, I, I'm still wrapping my, my mind around how we could do a sonic enhancement. There's gotta be a way. Uh, and it's really, this is where we can have some fun with it. Uh, but the initial one, I think it was important that we uh, we really focused on on the tobacco itself and, and understanding uh, that we wanted to make a good cigar. The sonic enhancement is always, we'll, we'll play around with that later. Yeah. <laughs> Any, any talk maybe of a reverse corroboration where uh, there's a Drew Estate inspired whiskey? I know Johnson's done it before. You know, he's done his own thing. But maybe that's something. Is that something you guys have thought about, too? You know, there's always a possibility, you know, that the the, uh, the 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 sky's the limit. So, you know, there's always there's always a possibility to do something. So, you know, we we never leave anything off the table. Nice. Nice. No, I think this is a, a lot of fun uh, to hear about. What are, what are the plans now as far as your involvement with, as they're rolling out this project, they started doing it in December. Um, are you going to be involved with events or anything like that with Drew State going down the road? Yeah, I'll definitely be at some of the events. Um, you know, it's a big year for Black and Whiskey. We, uh, the band, uh, Metallica, is they just they announced uh, the release of, the, of a new album. Uh, so they've already released three songs and uh, this new album launches uh, in, in April and uh, and then the band goes on a, a two year world tour. Uh, so I'm touring with the band in North America, uh, doing whiskey events uh, at, at the show and then, uh, you know, different uh, whiskey tastings uh, and different events. Uh, and we're we're also uh, I am also pairing that uh, together with with some of these cigar events. So um, I, I will be there. You'll see me. Um, uh, you'll see me there. You'll see Jonathan there, um, uh, uh, working, uh, and, and really, um, explaining the process, being able to, uh, to engage and enjoy uh, a cigar with, uh, with everyone, a little dram of whiskey, uh, at the same time. Uh, so yes, you will see me out there at some of these, uh, cigar events this year. Nice. 
Nice. I know the album's 72 seasons. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I this is I noticed a lot of bands now are releasing their songs in sequence before the album. I've seen a few other bands start to do this as well. It, it seems to be the trend that a lot of bands are doing these days. Yeah, it's it's smart. I think you know it, it kind of builds up that excitement because it's it's different than the um, it's different than the, the 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 cassette tape and vinyl record days where you relied on the radio stations to um, they you know they released records differently and then you went out and you ran out and you bought the record physically and you bought the album physically and the, and the tape um, now it's different you know there's so many different ways that you can um, promote and and I think they've understood that. Um, the evolution of, of, you know, like a little teaser. Here's, here's a song. Here's another song uh, before you get the whole album. Just, 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 just builds up that excitement. Hey, I've seen, I've seen bands actually do it. And then like they've had number one, like Tears for Fears was a band I follow. They've done it. And then they ended up with their first number one album like, out of the gate because they, they released like three songs and created a lot of interest with it. So I think it's like a very good strategy. These bands are doing with this. I think so. I mean, it's a great strategy um, and it builds up excitement. I know, you know, they, uh, uh, the band had a lot of momentum, um, kind of uh, unexpected momentum from the, the Stranger Things um, uh, cameo on there with, the, with, the, with, their, uh, with their song Master of Puppets. So yeah. uh, that opened it up the, the, to a whole different genre of, 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 uh, of fans and listeners. Uh, yeah. So kind of doing it this way uh, and embracing the, the current environment of, of being able to download and, uh, and play um at home i think this was a smart move yeah rob um you mentioned this throughout the interview vintage cars that's something you're into love them so um, I, yeah wow I, wow i grew up uh, my, my dad taught me how to wrench on cars and work on cars him and my uncle had built their own shop they were um they had an, uh, my uncle's an auto body guy and uh there was always some sort of car project going on my my dad, when we were growing up, um, kind of raised us in a in an old uh, an old van uh, bus that he had built uh, and lived out of. Obviously, I was inspired by that when I when I built mine when I was in the army. Uh, but I always had a vintage car going going on. I, I think my first one was a 1964 Triumph Herald. Um, mm -hmm. And trying to find parts in <laughs> the early the early 80s um, when there was no internet, and I'm, and I've got this obscure Triumph car. Um, you know, you, you, you learn how to, to read catalogs and call, uh, you know, I call over to the UK and uh, much to my, um, my own pocketbook book, uh, getting crushed by the, the long distance phone calls trying to find parts. Um, you know, it was a different time, but it, that it really started the passion. Uh, for me, it started with motorcycles because I, I grew up in the country. You, you were not going to get anywhere and go see your buddy unless, you know, before you had your license, unless you had a dirt bike. So I had a dirt bike. I, my, my first dirt bike, um, I, I think I bought for 50 bucks and traded probably a stack of Playboys or something for it. I don't know. Like, I, I don't remember what it was, but it, the, uh, the, the throttle cable had snapped. And so the guy had this piece of wood wrapped around it directly off the carburetor. And <laughs> I was riding around just like I pull the throttle like this. And I was riding around one handed until I was, I was doing that for probably most of the summer until my dad saw me one day and he's like, what the hell are you doing? He's like, let's fix that thing. You know, let's, you know, and I was like, Oh, I never even thought about that. We can fix it. Yeah. And from there it was just like, Oh, we can, we can create. And, and, you know, I was just in, you know, I was just Frankenstein this thing together. And that really started the passion for uh, different vintage projects. Uh, you know, I've, I've had anything from, you know, 
couple of 53 Chevy Bel Airs to a 59 Oldsmobile Super 88. Uh, right mm -hmm. now, one of the projects, one of the many projects, I've got a, I've got a 1941 Dodge Power Wagon that I'm, I'm working on oh, wow. restoring. Uh, I've got a 72 Moto Guzzi Eldorado, former police bike uh, that I, that was in LA. Um, I got that on tour when I was uh, the tour manager for uh, a, a, a tour, uh, a West Coast tour with Lone Star, uh, a, a country band out of California. And their sound guy, at the time, I was looking for like a 1967 BMW motorcycle. And he said, well, I don't have a BMW, but I have this, uh, I got the 72 Moto Guzzi basket case and, and, uh, in Nashville. And, um, he goes, I'll sell it to you for 600 bucks. And I was like, huh, 600 bucks. He goes, ah, never mind. 500 bucks. Like I didn't even <laughs> talk him down. He talked it down. I'm like, 300 yeah. bucks. Cool. <laughs> Side unseen. And, uh, and so after the tour was over, I took a little road trip out there and picked up that, that Moto Guzzi. And it's been, it's been a project waiting to happen. So that's, that's on the block. Uh, same with that, that truck. So, um, and that's really where I, I started connecting with James on, you know, he's, his, his big passion is, he loves Fords. He's a Ford guy. Um, yeah. I just like anything weird and obscure. So he, right. uh, he does, he does have a passion for Ford, uh, rat, you know, rat rods, different projects. And, and he's got some fun, fun vehicles. Rob, I mentioned this is, this is kind of just so parallel to me because my dad and people have heard this. I grew up in almost a very similar. My dad was into this. He was into, he was a car person all his life. He had a limousine company, Right. And his limousine nice. company had a contract with CBS Records, so he drove the executives and the talent uh, in his, for many years. Um, and at the same time, he was always restoring cars. I mean, so I, I lived this. Uh, I remember he'd get something called, like, what was it, Hemmings Motor News was, like, the big thing he'd get every yes, month. Hemings, and yeah. that's where you get your parts. That's where you get all his parts. That's where you go. You go they're Hemmings. still around. Those guys yeah. are still around. Oh, he still was getting it right, right until he uh, passed. I mean, it was, it was um, yeah, that was his thing. He loved Hemmings Motors. I mean, that was like he couldn't wait for that because you didn't have Internet back then. No. And I got to tell you, the Internet is a magical thing, as we all know. Mm. And being able to find an obscure part for some random thing that, you know, that doesn't really exist um, anywhere other than the Internet, um, is, you know, is, is great. Um, yeah. You know, I, I uh, at Stranahan's, we had a uh, 1930, 1937 uh, Dodge Brothers truck. That was a flatbed that we mounted a, a bunch of whiskey barrels to the back of it. And that was our kind of our show truck. And I was one of the only people who knew how to drive it because it was a double clutch. Oh, and yeah. for those of you who ever driven a double clutch, you know, you know, it takes a little bit of skill because you are the synchros for, for the transmission basically. And, and, and I grew up with farm equipment and old trucks. And so I, I knew how to drive a double clutch and, and how, you know, how double clutch works is you're, you're driving down the road. You might be in, in, in second gear and you're driving down the road and you, you wait and listen for, you know, that engine to get to a certain RPM and you push in the clutch and you pull the, the shift into neutral, let the clutch out. You push the clutch back in and you wait for the synchros to line up. You are the synchros <laughs> and you put into third, you know, nice. so you are the synchros. And yeah. I, I just love that about machines is, is, I, I've always loved that challenge of like, what if it's a machine, I can drive it. I know I can make it go. I, I can make it move. Nice, nice. Aaron, any more on whiskey or cigars we want to hit with, with Rob before we hit some of these other questions? Uh, somebody in the chat asked a question. Uh, if Rob, if you might be at the uh, Rocky Mountain Cigar Festival, which is out where you kind of live, it's uh, I think August 26th. With the, looks like it's in between dates of when the band is in Los Angeles. So I don't know if that was a, 
an event that you guys might be hitting up? I'll be I'll be in Los Angeles for for those shows. Okay. Uh, and I'm assuming that's always on a Saturday. The Rocky Mountain yeah. Star Fest is yeah. always on a Saturday. I will probably if it's that same weekend, the the band will have a show on a Friday night, and then the, the night in between, there's always a Metallica event, which I I'm always a part of. Got it. And then and then there's uh, and then there's Sunday night. Okay. Uh, so more than likely, I, I, unfortunately, I'll 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 miss that, and it's right in my backyard. It's uh, yep. just down the way. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, JD would always come out for that. Jonathan yep. drew it. And, uh, I've got this, I have this Russian motorcycle with a sidecar, uh, I called a Ural and, uh, and Jonathan came over for dinner one night and, and I, I said, let's go out and I'm, let's, I'm going to throw you in the sidecar and we'll go take a, take it for a spin. You know, and we'll, <laughs> we're driving through the streets of Denver and, you know, probably at 10 o'clock at night and he's in the sidecar, you know, I think he was live streaming, you know. On, on, <laughs> oh, I wish I could see that. And uh, and he's doing that. And as soon as he's done with that, he's like, he's like, bro, you got to let me drive. You get in the side. <laughs> I was like, have you ever driven one of these? He's like, yeah, I drove a I drove a four wheeler. And I was like, that's not a that's not a motorcycle yeah. sidecar. He's like, ah, it's the same thing. I got it. So I was like, okay, I trust you. So I got in the sidecar, and he gets on, and he's like, okay, show me where you know. Just run me through where everything is, you know, because every 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 vehicle is a little bit different. And I was like, okay, yeah. here's the clutch and here's the shifter. And we get in and we start going off. And and you know, I'm starting to get closer to park cars. So I'm like, dude, dude, you gotta get in the middle again. This is a <laughs> you know, sidecar, sidecar. Because he's riding it like a motorcycle. Yeah. And then you kind of you have to remember that that sidecar's on it. And uh, we had a blast, man. He was riding me around uh, all through my neighborhood and and uh, and just having a good time. And I've got this this ridiculous aruga horn on there, like aruga. And mm. But we're just blasting that thing and and <laughs> chaos in the neighborhood. So uh, we we had a good time with that. Nice, nice, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I, Aaron's been to Rocky Mountain. I have not yet been to that yeah. festival, and I want to definitely. I'm gonna, I want to try to go this year. So yeah, it's uh, it's good. You you know, if you're not used to the altitude, it's one of those things where you definitely you got to start. You got to start training. Um, you know, you got to you got to create that lung lungs and the legs kind of effect. You know, so that you're you're, you're building up to, uh, to the high altitude. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you're, if it's, if it's, uh, anybody's first time in, in, uh, in the mountains, uh, high altitude, you drink a little whiskey, smoking some cigars, drink a lot of water, you know, oh. that, that would be, uh, my suggestion. Cause it's a, it's high desert up here. Yeah. I, I I've been out there twice and I've, I've had some experience with that. I can tell you that that's definitely <laughs> the case. I had a big nosebleed problem. Actually the first time I was out there. It, it happens. Uh, it happens. Everybody, it, even yeah. even locals, that you still get that nosebleed in the middle. Yeah, of the so yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, drinking a lot of water and just um, and and knowing uh, that you know, eat food, drink water, drink yeah. more water than you think. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. I did have a bucket list item in Colorado. I, when I went last time, I smoked at the Red Rocks Amphitheater outside of it, of course, not inside. But yeah, I did get to do that. So. Uh, did, you, did you get to see a show at Red Rocks? I didn't. It was like in January in the middle of the week I was there. So no, I, uh, that's yeah, one of my goals. I want to go see a show at Red Rocks. If there's a band that you love, Red Rocks is absolutely the place to see it. And they're playing Red Rocks. You you definitely want to see uh, your band yeah. there. Because it's. Uh, I'm so fortunate to have it in the backyard. And you, you know, you, you see like, oh, uh, you know, this guy's showing up or this guy's showing up. Like I saw Nine Inch Nails. Uh, I saw Soundgarden open up for Nine Inch Nails at Red Rocks. And Red Rocks is it's a it's a big venue but it's not big in capacity it's about right people it's very so intimate yeah it's kind of intimate in that sense so it's always going to be special there's always going to be something that's unique about a red rock show 
Yeah, uh, I did get to go in it. Like it was empty. You know, you they let you walk in it um, yep. during the week. But so I got to see it. And it's like wow, this would. Be, and I've seen concert, uh, you know, films there. You know, so I've seen that. And it's definitely yeah, I'd love to see a show there for sure. Yeah, they have uh, they have film on the rocks, which uh, you know I've 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 gone up there with friends, and you go up and just see you know see a movie. Um, it's kind of funny that when I my military years, I did two deployments back to back in Somalia came back for a little while. And then I did a deployment in, in 94 and Haiti during those times, I missed all the movies that came out during that time. Mm. And then after that, I was living in the bus. And so I never got a chance to actually see some of these movies. And there was a friend of mine. She was like, Oh, we should go, you know, Jurassic park is playing up at, uh, at red rocks. And I was like, I've never seen it. And she's like, what? You've never seen Jurassic <laughs> park. I was like, I missed it. I was, I was deployed and then I just never got the chance to ever see it. And then throughout the years, just never watched it. So, uh, so it was funny because it was all these people had seen it and they're quoting it in the audience. And they're like, shut the fuck up. I've never seen this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, all right. All right. So Rob, I got some, uh, these are some fun questions. We'll kind of close out with, um, the first one is, uh, this is what we call the ties that bind. Uh, it's music inspired because it was inspired by the Bruce Springsteen song, the ties that bind. Okay. I'm going to name three things to you and you got to just tell me what they have in common. Now I gave you, this is a much easier one that I hit people in the cigar industry with. Right. I usually hit them with like really hard ones, but I, 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 you know, this is the first time we're talking. So this is a little more generic tonight. Right. So I have three items. You just got to tell me what they have in common. The first one is a ball such as a baseball or a football. Okay. The second one is a fish. And the third one is the common cold. The common cold. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, and again, this goes back to my music biz days, was uh, um, seeing Fish, the band, play oh, wow. at the Fillmore Auditorium, and they, you know, they got this big disco ball in there. Um, as far as the common cold, I, I think uh, with the amount of drugs going on in that place at the time, uh, there, it seemed like the common cold was happening. <laughs> so I would say that's uh, that would be uh, my my first. That was my first instinct. Okay. Oh, how does the ball fit in? The ball, the ball was the, uh, the disco ball. It okay. Was, okay. Uh, okay. That, that's a, I'll give you, you know, yeah, I can see that. And by the way, I've been to fish concerts. So, uh, yes, I'm a big fish fan actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah so that's the first thing I thought was when, okay. when you said, um, you know, fish and, and a, and a ball, I was like, Oh, I, the first thing I saw was that disco ball right in the middle yeah. of the film. <laughs> well, that's a good one. It wasn't my answer, by the way, it wasn't my answer. So I'll give you another shot. <laughs> But it's oh, a good wait, one. You, there, there's, you have an answer that I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to find. I thought it was just like an association thing. Oh, yeah. There was one I'm looking for. I want to see if you can oh, get the you – know, I'm, I'm curious. For. Okay. Well, I'm curious. I'm, I'm probably way off then. No, but it was a good It was a good thread. I got to give you that. <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even put that one – I should have put that one together because I've seen the disco ball fish. It's not that. Okay. You, yeah. Uh, so I'm, you still want me to guess here? Yeah, I'll give you another guess. Ball, fish, and common cold. God, I don't even know. Man, that's uh... – a. I'm too. I, I got. I, I got the Fillmore Auditorium stuck in my head. Okay. <laughs> be hard for me to get past it. I'll give you the answer here. They're all things you can catch. Oh. Good. I, like, I actually like your answer great. better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. All right. All right. And then this next question we have. This is our Cattle Baron State question uh, from Cattle Baron Cigars and. Rob, I'll assume you're not a vegan, but if you are a vegan, you can answer appropriately. I just wanted to know what your ultimate hamburger, what, what it makes up your ultimate hamburger. I, I, an elk burger. Oh, I, nice. 
I love elk, um, and an elk I burger. There's just something about it that uh, is just—it's different than beef. It's different than you know. I'm a I'm a I'm a hunter. Um, I love a good venison burger. Uh, actually, I just made uh, venison burger uh, spaghetti last night. Oh, nice. uh, so so a good elk elk burger with all the fixings. You know, you got to have red onions on there, um, and and it's got to be medium rare. Nice, nice. That's a good one. I love elk burger. I just, that's the first time anyone has said a, a, a kind of venison type of meat. So I'm, li- I'm liking that a lot. Yeah. And if you've ever had antelope, very lean, uh, very good. Yeah. Like, and if you, you know, if, I'm, I'm sure you got some deer hunters out there. They, they know that you've got to, you've really got to blend a, a little bit of pork in with your burger with it because it's, mm-hmm. it's such a lean. Meat. Yeah. Uh, so you, you blend a little pork in there. So you get a little fat for, for cooking. Nice. Uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. We, we have elk burgers. I'm in North Carolina I'm, and we can get elk burgers here. So it's, it's not hard to get them. So yeah, Colorado, uh, it's like a, you know, it's, it's at most steakhouses is going to be a staple. You're going to get like, yeah. if you're looking at steak, you're going to get like an elk medallion um, or, you know, or, you know, elk burger is, is common. Bur- uh, Buffalo burger is, is the most common out here yeah. in, uh, in Colorado. Uh, which I love. I mean, that's a, another lean, uh, a lean meat, but it just has such a great flavor to it. Yeah. Nice. All right. Now I have some more rapid fire questions and these are our Alec Bradley live true, uh, questions sponsored by Alec Bradley cigars. Um, so I'm going to ask you, I have a seven, seven quick hit questions here. And this first one may be a tough one. Maybe like picking your favorite child, but what is the Metallica song that is a much must listen to? If you're introducing someone to Metallica, what is that one song they I, have to hear? I'm a I'm a mood person, so just like like with whiskey, whiskey is a mood. You know, if if it's storming outside and it's and it's just cold and blustery, I might I might lean towards a like a peated Scotch, right? Mm-hmm. So I might go for that. So when it comes to Metallica, it's really about my mood. And you know, if I'm if I'm thinking a ballad, you know, nothing else matters. It's just such an incredible song. There's songs that mean something to me. Um, and Justice for All had come out just before my deployments, and we were listening to a lot of that album. Uh, that was really key for me. So One was huge. Uh, Battery was huge uh, for me. So all these songs mean something. Um, <clears throat> if I'm driving down the road, and, you know, I, I grew up uh, in the 80s, so you're we had the cassette player, and and you get a good song that you really like. You just pound in the dash, you know, <laughs> as you can. That song for me is Whiplash. Uh, so right. Whiplash by Metallica, you're just, you're just, you're pounding the dash. Uh, back then you didn't have to worry about, you know, possibly setting off an airbag in the car or something. <laughs> but, uh, we were we were able to get away with that. Nice. Nice. Are, are there other bands that you enjoy besides Metallica? I mean, you I know, know you're a music I, guy. I'm very, you know, I grew up with, uh, we, in my family, we didn't have a TV growing up and it was, it was purely because my parents didn't want it in the house. Uh, and so um, I grew up with an incredible vinyl vinyl record collection. My dad would listen to anything from Black Sabbath to to Jim Croce to uh, to Johnny Cash. My mom loved old country, so it was Patsy Cline and and uh, I, you know just all the the, the old greats in, in country. Um, I, you know Waylon Jennings, uh, Willie Nelson was big in our family. So I, I have, and I have their record collection. I, I was just counting all the records the other day. Um, and I have a big vinyl collection in my house. So the, uh, going back, you, you were asking uh, what was one of my 
Sorry, what was the question? How about other bands you listen to? Well, you, yeah, oh, other, other, bands, artists, yeah. other artists. Yeah, you kind of already answered yeah. it. Yeah, so I mean, for me, I, you know, I grew up, uh, my, my music really was like punk music and punk music, new wave music. And then, uh, you know, I got in, you know, I was always into Johnny Cash and those greats because I grew up with it. But then, you know, anything from like Soundgarden to uh, Alice in Chains, I'm a big Alice in Chains fan. When we, you know, again, the, you know, the song Rooster, um, me, that, that, that was kind of our, our war song, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I also got into grunge and Nirvana. Uh, absolutely love anything that Dave Grohl does. I mean, the guy's just such a phenomenal musician, yeah. human being. Um, I just think that there's just so many cool things you can do out there uh, and, and, and so many great bands. So I, I'm kind of, uh, I, I'll listen to classical if I'm in that mood. Um, I, I, I take Spanish lessons every day. So sometimes I'll have it on the Spanish station in my car because I'm trying to understand what they're saying and yeah. what they're singing and uh, um, jazz, old jazz, old blues. I mean, there's, I really am just inspired by a lot of music. It just depends on my mood. Nice, nice. Oh, the, I'm on the same way. Nice. All right, you're, you're a Colorado guy. What's something really cool about living in Colorado that you maybe didn't mention tonight? You know, I, I love how diverse Colorado is. You have everything from the Rocky Mountains to to the the plains of Colorado. Um, you've got these beautiful canyons. You have the Black Canyon of the Gunnison um, that is just one of the deepest ravines. It's just so impressive when you see it. Um, some of the really cool things, you know, you've got uh, Mesa Verde, which is, you know, thousand year old Indian ruins that are built into the cliff, these cliff ruins. Uh, there's just so many little places. Having grown up here and, and, and grown up on a dirt bike, I've done, you know, international trips on motorcycle, Argentina, Chile, Thailand. I do a lot of motorcycle trips in Colorado because I still haven't seen all of Colorado. Yeah. Wow. There's always something new to see here and it's so diverse and, and, and so beautiful in so many different ways. Um, there's, there's always a treasure somewhere around the corner. Nice. Nice. Is there a spectator sport you enjoy watching? Um, yeah, you know, there's, uh, I, you know, you guys were talking uh, when you first started about March Madness. I, I, I could just care less about basketball. And that's, you know, <laughs> that's just me. Yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a football guy. I love the Broncos. I'm a Broncos fan through, you know, through and through. I, I, got to, I grew up with John Elway being, you know, the, the quarterback and, and really just the feeling of, of, uh, of that connection and camaraderie. Um, I've, I've had the, the opportunity to meet uh, John Elway. And it's just uh, he's, you know, we call him the Duke of Denver. Uh, because he's just such a part of Colorado history. Yeah. So for me, it's it's uh, without a doubt, it's the Broncos. Um, I'll watch. Uh, I'll you know I'll watch baseball. I, I'm I'm just I'm more of a football guy, but I I like watching baseball. I'm more of like a probably a people watcher when I'm watching baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I think, but I think baseball is fascinating as well and and enjoyable. I'll you know I'll pick up. I'll watch some hockey games on occasion. It's more fun to watch them live. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it, a hockey game live is way way better. Than agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Not. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually met John Elway in Vegas once and shook his hand, and I was amazed. He, he gave me like the death grip. Mitch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> holy cow! I thought he was gonna break my hand off when he shook it. <laughs> yeah, big hands too. Yeah, yeah, your hand just disappears. You're like, Whoa. oh yeah, oh yeah. I was like, holy cow! It was he was pretty nice to me. Yeah, that uh, it was over at the uh, Treasure Island. Uh, oh I, nice. I, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. He was he was at the uh, there was like a place called Tangerine. I remember they used to have that, and that's where I ended up. He was there, just kind of chilling. So. Yeah, he's a he's a whiskey guy too. He really he really likes uh, he likes uh, a whiskey or two here and there, and uh, that's something I, I appreciated about him. 
Nice. Uh, nice. You know, besides him being one of the greatest, you know, mm-hmm. quarterbacks of all time. <laughs> no, it is. It is uh, great. Uh, you talked about cars. What What is a dream car that you'd want to drive that you haven't driven? Man, oh, you know, it's funny. You were, you were gonna, I that I haven't driven, but I got to tell you, I I had the rare opportunity to drive a 1931 Bentley Blower, wow. which was created for the uh, 24 hour of Le Mans. And, and they're, they have these huge ports on, on the front and the back. So where the passenger can fill fuel from fuel cans in the back seat, oh, wow. fill fuel cans so they don't have to stop the car and fill an oil uh, in the car, in the, in the, in the engine. So they don't have to stop. That is such a, a beast of a car. And so well built, and and uh, I had the very distinct pleasure of, of getting to drive one here in Colorado. And it's also a double clutch and a right hand drive. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to there's all the, your brains just thinking <laughs> of all the things yep. at the same time. Plus, on on the steering wheel is the timing. You have to adjust the timing on you know, of the car itself. So there's so many little details. Um, so it doesn't you know I, I kind of cheated there because it's a car that I, I had already driven. Uh, a car I haven't driven. You know, I would say I, I love vintage cars. You know, like I could I could drive a, a modern fast car, and that'd be fun. And I and I wouldn't I wouldn't certainly like kick it out of bed for eating crackers. But I would I would I would love to. You know, it's it's the vintage cars. So I I think like a Stutz Bearcat, you know, 1920s Stutz Bearcat racing car with the mm-hmm. with the with the whale the, kind of that um, uh, that I, I want to say whale tail, but I know that's not right. Uh, it's a uh, a streamlined tail comes back to a point uh, yeah. on the back for, for aerodynamics. And then they've got the, you know, they've got the exhaust coming off the side. Um, that would be probably on, uh, on a bucket list. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, have you ever played hooky from school? Yeah. Oh yeah. Everyone. Has, <laughs> every, everyone's always, I'm waiting for someone to say, no, they haven't. <laughs> uh, without a doubt. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Uh, you get caught. Um, no. I didn't get caught I, either. I learned. I learned, I learned uh, early on how to not get caught. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the way to do it. It's all about forgery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and the last question I have for you for tonight: uh, you had a reality show about you. What would the title of it be? Holy cow! Um, I, you know, first thing that came to mind was Madman. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Instead of Madman, it would be Madman. Yeah. Very nice. All right, Rob. Um, I want to thank you very much uh, for being on the show tonight. We really uh, appreciate you making yes. the time here. This was great. I look forward to meeting you in person at some point as well um, down the road, um, and look forward to see what you guys have coming up next on both the whiskey and perhaps the cigar end. Well, I got to tell you, gents, it's such a pleasure to talk about all the things that I'm passionate about and that I love. Uh, you have so many great questions in there and some good doozies that um, you know that I get to to kind of think outside the box with and uh, you really you really are passionate about what you guys do and I love what you guys do um, so you know it's it's a it's it's an honor to be able to be a part of that same here thank we're really you. honored talking to you thank you very much uh, this was great as well I said a lot of things like I said parallels of my life I got to hear tonight it was yeah. just it was just fascinating so I really do appreciate yeah. it excellent well it's such a pleasure gents thank you thank you thank you Rob all right that's Rob Dietrich Rob thanks again and we'll catch you down the road cheers all right take care um, Rob Dietrich of uh, Black and Whiskey. Um, oh wait, we have to do the contest. Yeah, there you go. Okay, I didn't do the contest. Oh, all right. So, um, 
contest. Uh, we have some giveaways tonight. Um, and let me pull up my uh, fingers. Uh, hang on. I'm, I'm, I have a Band-Aid on my fingers, so the mouse ain't working really good. All right. Let me pull up the prize here. Let's try this again. Uh, all right. So for folks who are in tonight, uh, we have this Drew Estate uh, blackened gift set. It includes a uh, a whiskey and cigar case. Uh, you'll have to put your own whiskey and cigars in. We, 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 we couldn't give those away. Um, it has a torch lighter, a blackened torch lighter. It has one of those cool Drew Estate cigar holders, um, which uh, the rest of your cigar. And this one's blackened um, as well. So it's blackened branded. Um, so here's how it's going to work. Um, folks who are in the live tonight will get will get double entries into this. Um, so you'll get two entries. And you just have to tell me a Metallica song you'd like to listen to that um, you'd like to pair with uh, the whiskey and the cigar. Um, it has to be a Metallica song and you have to hashtag it with Metallica because that's the only way I'm going to be able to pull the comments out. Um, just tell me the name of a Metallica song you'd like to pair with that. Very simple. Hashtag Metallica. Spell it right, please. <laughs> okay. M-E-T-A-L-L-I-C-A. Yep. You got yeah. it. Okay. Um, <laughs> if, if I get a lot of entries, uh, I'll add a second prize pack into it. If I don't get a lot of entries, you may see it on... Uh, It'll be on the website tomorrow where you can enter again. Uh, you'll be able to enter on the website again tomorrow. So um, you could get the word. And you can enter both times, by the way. So if you enter tonight and you enter on the website, you'll get three entries into it. Uh, and how many I get, I'll determine how many of the prize packs I'll give out. Because I want to see a lot of answers. Sound good? Yep. People All are right. looking up Metallica songs right now. Yeah, you can look up. Yeah, you can use Google. <laughs> you can use Google, by the way. If you don't know Metallica, yeah, just use Google. Uh, any Metallica song will count. I will validate that as well. Um, so I will I will go back and make sure it is a Metallica song. But I think I know most of them. Um, and you can do that. And like I said, if uh, go ahead and do that. Um, Aaron and I got one more segment we're going to do. So, uh, But I do have to, uh, we did combine it. So I have a few uh, sponsor things. But I think you're going to want to hear this segment. Um, Aaron, I want to talk about um, a question that the BCA put out this week. Sure. And I also want to throw an audible in for the FDA announcement. I just have a couple of things I wanted to ask you about sure, that tonight. Sure. All right. So uh, let me get back to my uh, commercial reads here. With hopefully I can mouse. Uh, I want to mention, of course, Tailored Smoke, uh, which does carry blackened whiskey in the bar as well as the blackened M81 cigars. Uh, they're located in the downtown Charlotte Epicenter, and they're also outside the Charlotte Motor Speedway in Concord, North Carolina. Tailored Smoke is your one-stop shop for a tailored smoking experience. And uh, I want to mention JRE Tobacco. The authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age of cigars, Cuba is a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars because it's one of the most challenging ones to cultivate. It fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamasran Valley in Honduras, Julio Aro took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. And in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the Jerry Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with Jerry Tobacco, Julian and Husto have brought their very own brand to market and each contain that authentic Corojo leaf. The Aladino brand is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest release, the Aladino Classic, that represent the golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. Now available at your local retail. Be sure to ask... For JRE Tobacco, it's a legacy that's tasted in every drawer. 
Now, I mentioned Corona Cigar Company. At Corona Cigar Company, they take the fact that they are cigar fanatics just like you. They take pride in the fact that they are cigar fanatics just like you. That's where you'll find the best selection of the rarest and finest premium cigars available anywhere in the world. They have special limited edition cigars available to Corona Cigar Company from famous international cigar makers such as Drew Estate, Fuente, and Aganorso Leaf. They have the best selection, best customer service, and money-saving discount prices. Don't just take their word for it. Forbes magazine selected Corona Cigar Company as best of the web. Corona Cigar was voted a top five internet cigar retailer by Smoke Magazine. And Cigar Aficionado wrote Corona Cigar Company, the largest best stock cigar shops in America. You can place an order online at their website or visit one of Corona's four Central Florida cigar superstars and cigar bars and see for yourself why Corona Cigar Company is the ultimate cigar experience. I want to mention J.C. Newman Cigar Company. They're founded in 1895 by Julius Caesar Newman. J.C. Newman is the oldest family-owned premium cigar maker in America. For four generations and 127 years, J.C. Newman has been handcrafting many of the world's finest cigars. They're headquartered in an iconic 111-year-old cigar factory in the Ybor City National Historic Landmark District of Tampa, Florida. At the factory known as El Rahol, J.C. Newman's premium cigars by hand and hand-operated antique cigar machines, including the All-American Cigar, the American. The J.C. Newman Pencil Factory is the second largest in Nicaragua, and it's where Brickhouse, Pearl de Mar, El Batuan, Quarum, and Yagua cigars are hand-rolled. J.C. Newman's Diamond Crown, Maximus, Julius Caesar, and Black Diamond cigars are handmade by tobacco A. Fuente in the Dominican Republic. With their longtime partners, the Arturo Fuente family, the Newman's founded the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, which supports low-income families in the Dominican Republic of education, healthcare, vocational training, and clean water. Visit jcnewman.com to learn more. And by Casa Cuevas Cigars. The Cuevas family has five generations of experience in cigar making. For many years, they have manufactured cigars for many industry leaders out of their Las Lavas factory in the Dominican Republic. Now the Cuevas family has brought their very own brand to market with Casa Cuevas Cigars. You can try their latest release, the Sangre Nueva, as well as the many other cigars in their core line and the Cuevas Reserva line. If they don't carry it, be sure to ask your local retailer for Casa Cuevas Cigars. Casa Cuevas Cigars, from our casa to yours. I'll mention one more time, uh, friends at Cavalier of Geneva. Um, Cavalier Cigars, stay gold, smoke gold. Join the inner circle and follow Cavalier Cigars on Instagram at Cavalier underscore cigars and on Facebook at Cavalier Geneve Cigars. Again, that's Geneve, G-E-N-E-V-E. You can visit local tobacconists and join that movement that is Cavalier Cigars. They're regarded by cigar lovers everywhere highly, as well as getting high ratings from the cigar industry press. You want to follow them on Instagram again at Cavalier underscore cigars. They're doing some very unique giveaways throughout the whole year on their Instagram page. Cavalier Cigars, smoke gold and stay gold. So we're at that point. It's the uh, industry deliberation segment sponsored by Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. There's no deliberation when it comes to Dumbarton's track record since launching in 2015. This has included eight consecutive top three appearances on the Halfway Consensus, including number one cigar of the year in 2020 with the Mi Carita Tricky Traca and 2022 with the Mi Carita Sacatan. Visit DTC Cigars to find a purveyor that carries the brands of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. So, Aaron, um, I wanted to first, we didn't really talk about this a lot until maybe on our chat today. What, you know, that announcement today, yesterday about the FDA um, wanting to, um, you know, they're basically coming up with a plan now that they want to basically start to control, put some, you know, regulations into how cigar factories operate. Right. And a lot of it seemed on the surface to be 
you know, they, it's kind of funny how it was worded. Well, we want to make sure things aren't getting contaminated in there. Right. Uh, you know, we, you know, kind of we want to make sure that, hey, what's coming out is, uh, is what you'd expect. No impurities or anything like that. Right. Um, I think some of this was geared more for the alternative space, but it sounds like tobacco, all tobacco is getting lumped in there. Yeah. Did you think this was a bad thing, a good thing? What did you think of this? Uh, I mean, it's probably a mix of both, right? Um, if you take it for the surface value of of what you just kind of mentioned, you know, clearly it's a good thing. It's, you know, you wanting to make sure that uh, the products are produced correctly and as healthy as possible um, and things of that nature so that you're getting, you know, good product without things that maybe can harm you or whatever, um, you know, outside of what they already think can harm you. But so, yeah, you know, in that, in that vein, uh, you know, companies here in the United States, they have to go, you know, they have um, health and safety standards, uh, food safety, all that kind of stuff that you have to deal with. So there's, you know, that those requirements that are there. Um, But, you know, if you look under the surface, you know, you may see say that you know they're looking to you know provide more restrictions that cost more money and things of that nature that can hurt it um you know make companies pay more to you know set up the factories correctly training all those things uh which trickles down to the consumer as well for price increases and things like that making the products more expensive maybe less likely people are going to buy them you know reduce the the use of things of that nature so i i could see it from from both sides of it that way yeah, I mean, that was kind of how I interpreted it as well. Um, on the surface, I think, yeah, it sounds good, but they could easily, like, the scope of this could, like, if they open the door on this, the scope of this could expand a lot more. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think it was John made a point this morning. This is another case of the FDA, one size fits all, throwing something at the wall. Right. And, and seeing if it sticks. Yeah. Uh, I actually have not read, I skimmed through a bunch of that, uh, that 200 plus, I think it's close to 300 page. I skimmed it. I did not read the whole thing. Yeah. Um. So, but, you know, that's kind of what I took out of this. Do you, do you think that the industry, how much do you think they're going to put into this? Like, and I'm, you know, are they going to prioritize this compared to maybe, because they can't fight every battle, right? I mean, they're going to fight this probably. Yeah. But, you know, I look at, I think there's higher, there's this, there's things higher on the food chain they have to address first. I'm still thinking. But yeah, I, I mean, look, you, you have a you have a multi front battle here, you know, with all the things that these companies have to deal with now, and you have to determine, you know, where you're going to focus your time. But I think at the same time, you also have to protect all the sides, right? Because you know, if you feel like you know one thing is bigger than the other, uh, you know, maybe they see that. Uh, opportunity on the other side and they that's the the way they go in to to get you so um it's it's really tough because uh, um i think the amount of money involved in this industry is not as you know there's a core set of companies that you know make a lot of the dollars and have a lot of the money and then there's a lot of companies that don't have that kind of money to to spend so um yeah, it's 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 tough that they, you know, I think the industry didn't need to take it all all serious. Um, just for the fact that, you know, um you you know, you could get to the point where, you know, the big players get to play and the small players don't. Um but um yeah, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of money spent on advocacy and all that kind of stuff. So um 
figuring out where that money is going to be the best spent, but also not leaving yourself vulnerable, I think is something to take consideration. Yeah. Uh, the one, the one company I'm kind of like curious how they're going to respond to this. Um, and they'll probably try to put this in their favor. It's actually the actually two companies, CLE and JRE. Cause yeah, they implement, yeah, they the have the, sl- yeah. the, yeah, they have the bare agricultural processes and they have the bare manufacturing processes. Right. Um, when you actually go into that factory, I mean, there's just sanitation things. You have to you have to go through a foot bath and a spray spray down mm-hmm. um, before you actually enter the farm and before you actually enter the factory. Um, yeah. So I'm wondering if, if we may see more companies start to do that, or you know, and, and I could see CLE and JRE kind of using that to their advantage, which they should, right. if, you know, saying, "Look, we have these processes in place already." Um, I think this is going to hurt some of the smaller factories more. Yeah. anything um and it's gonna be it's gonna be tough and, and i'm not sure like i know that pca is coming out with a response on this right they, they haven't come out with it yet uh they're waiting for it i know to go to the federal register and i'm sure they want to do some homework before they respond mm-hmm. uh i didn't see any response from the caa as of this afternoon and cra did have a very they had a response i didn't really like cra's response because mm-hmm. i felt they gave no guidance to, like right. They were telling people about the comment, but I think you have to give guidance uh, how you have to respond to that. Yeah. So um, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. I'm not expecting anything to radically change for a while, though. Yeah, I don't think it'll be any kind of immediate changes. Yeah, you know how these things go. Um, yep. They they go and uh, it's pushed out, kicked the can, delays. Um, who knows if this ends up back in the courts? So it, it will be interesting to see. Um, because like now they have to go through by by law through the rulemaking process they have to have a public comment. Um, they're gonna have an oral hearing as well. Mm-hmm. We've seen some of these oral hearings in the past, like people don't get a chance to even talk on them. Right. Um. So I think that will be interesting. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of in agreement with you on this uh, going around. I think it's I think it's something the industry does have to address. I'm just not sure how much of a threat they're looking at this with yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the cost thing was a big thing. That, you know, is a big thing that is a reason because if, if any of these changes have to be in the factories, there's going to be costs and ultimately those costs are going to be passed over to consumers. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that the manufacturing happens where it happens, right? Cause the cost is low. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, the prices increase that gets passed on to the retailer and that gets passed on to the consumer. So you have to kind of take that into consideration as well. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens with that. I just wanted to throw that one in there right now. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, and this is the one I had planned out for tonight. Did you see the BC? And it's funny, I'm actually going to the BC and it's going to pick on them a lot, but they actually had a really good question. Did you see that question about the retailer? And the I did not market? see it. Okay. So there was a comment that they put up um, and it was someone in the BCA. I don't know who it was. It may have been Gabby Cappy or someone else, but the comment was that they said recently a retailer in the state of Arizona was quoted as saying the following. If a cigar brand does not advertise in major publications, I won't carry it in my store. Okay. Uh, question. What do you think of that comment, right or wrong? Um, it's probably right for that retailer. Um, you know, they, they have to cater to the, their consumers um, and sell what sells in their store. So if that's what sells and, they think that the visibility from that advertising um, gets to their consumer base and they come in and uh, that's what people are buying. Then I think that's perfectly 
uh, appropriate for them. Um, you know, if they have a consumer base that's always coming and asking for scars they don't carry, then it's probably not the greatest yeah. uh, idea. But um, I don't know what retailer it is. I don't know where they're actually located in Arizona, but just knowing Arizona as a state, uh, a lot of um, a lot of people visit uh, that state, um, you know, from other parts of the country and things like that. Um, and those people, you know, playing golf or, you know, doing whatever they're doing, maybe that they, you know, maybe they know brands because of, you know, big names and they see them in magazines and things like that. So maybe that's why, you know, those consumers that come in there want to you know want brands that they that have name recognition and that might be the way that works in that shop yeah i i think one thing that i took out of this is it's obviously uh capitalist right yeah so a retailer certainly has a business decision to make uh you could disagree with that and is i think i saw a lot of people disagree with it um but you know how many times have we heard from uh manufacturers and retailers how the needle moves when you know let's scarfish now is probably the, the example they're talking about here yeah. um how many times have we seen that i mean, i i saw my son when they come in and come in with the top 25 list i mean we hear yeah. it over and over again so i, I can kind of understand it now i can understand other retailers i mean other manufacturers being sore about this who um they don't go through they don't have advertising in print magazines being upset yeah. about them right uh, yeah I thought there was a little bit of hypocrisy, though, with the people who disagree with this, mm -hmm. right? So, first of all, how many of these companies would would give their left arm to forget the ad, but to get into cigar aficionado, yeah. like, or if they can afford to advertise in cigar? How many would give their left arm to go do, you know, go do that? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that that's the that's the first thing. And how many of these companies have cowed to cigar aficionado? Giving them exclusives, yeah, yeah, or giving the shelf talk. How many times have we seen the shelf talkers? Like, and online media is almost always left off most shelf talkers, right? Right. So, to me, I'm like, all right, if you're upset about that, don't feed that behavior. And I've said it. I don't think there's a company that wouldn't do it. Yeah, I, I think give, I think given the opera, and I've seen companies like I've seen it. You've seen it, and I've seen it. Yeah. Like I, I have relationships with the company for years, and then all of a sudden, yeah, something goes into aficionado, and I'm like, well, "What about me?" Well, I can't talk to you about that. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. So who do you, I mean? But you can understand, I guess, certain companies being upset about this, right? Do you, Do you think this is a problem caused from the retailers or the manufacturers, or both? Um, I don't know that I necessarily see it as a problem at all. I mean, yeah. um. Wherever this retailer is located, you know, maybe there's another shop that's in this in yeah. the same area that's more of a boutique focused. And if the base of consumers is big enough and there's a contingent that's a, a you know, boutique smoking population, um, they just don't visit the shop that's, uh, you know, a high brand named uh, focus shop. And they they go to the one that's a boutique shop and they get all the brands that they want at that shop. And that maybe that retailer does great business as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know. There's a space for everybody. I, I, there's no reason that somebody should tell a business owner, uh, you know, what they should sell, how they should run the shop, all those things. Like, it's it's their business. They can do what they want. If it doesn't work, they go out of business or they adjust or whatever it is. So, um, if they're making the money that they want to make doing that, then more power to them. And you know, if there's another retailer in the area that 
you know, caters to the other side, then you can go there and spend your money that way. I mean, consumers can consumers can speak with their dollars. Um, so that's that's the way to vote for them. Um, they can disagree with the other retailer as much as they want. They don't have to spend any money there. Yeah, no, I think I, I I agree also with that one. You know, I look at the Dallas area, right? You have like obviously a big CI place, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think they 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 have that policy, but you know, right. certainly you can find those big brands. Then you have guys like Jay Davis, who I think have a mix of both. Right. Um, you know, you can certainly if you want to get Fuente, you're going to get your Fuente there. But he's got a lot of very craft type boutique cigars in that store as well. Mm-hmm. And then you have on the flip side, Underground. Yep. which is totally on the boutique side. And they're focused on a lot of small batch stuff and small batch. Yeah. They're, they're at a big festival this weekend. So I think as a consumer, you could be upset by that comment, but you have a right, but this doesn't mean that uh, you, you don't have other options to spend your money there. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I kind of ag- agreed with that piece. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, again, I don't think this is a widespread problem, but I thought it was an interesting scenario. Uh, certainly to say the least. Yeah. All right. I think we're at the end here. Is there anything else? No, I think that's it. All right. Um, so I'm going to keep the contest open tonight and I'll look tomorrow. But again, if you want to get in the contest, you haven't uh, just put in for that Metallica gift pack. Uh, just put in the comments in the live stream. It has to be in the live stream. Uh, hashtag Metallica, a Metallica song. You'd want to pair with um, a uh, black and whiskey and a black and cigar. Um, there's no wrong answer with that as long as it's a Metallica song and as long as you hashtag it right with Metallica. And uh, depending on the answers, I have a few of these prize packs uh, I'll give away. Um, and they'll probably be open on the website tomorrow. I am looking for some more answers. So, But you can get in on the website as well and you'll, you'll get three times the chance to win. Two, two, ta- two t- double chance tonight and uh, one chance on the website. We've been doing this on the Tuesday show and it seems to work out pretty well. So Nice. Um, all right. Um, no show next week. Uh, I'm traveling to the Great Smoke. Yep. Uh, the following week, uh, we have the Amendola boys on. Mm-hmm. So they'll be returning to the show. That will be on the 23rd. Um, and then Bear and I are doing a show on Tuesday. Um, special edition 137. Um, we'll be doing the uh, Alec Bradley Mount Rushmore, as we kind of put a close to the Ruben era in, <laughs> in Alec Bradley. <laughs> so, yeah, Bear and I will be picking our Mount Rushmore cigars for Alec Bradley and probably talking all about Alec Bradley's sale and stuff like that. So, right, right. Um, that will be on Tuesday. And then, like I said, no show on Thursday. Oh, and then Monday night, um, we're going to have Hector and John on uh, Jukebox. We're actually going to be recording the show over the weekend. It is our Battle of the Bands 80s albums. So, nice. uh um, we'll be doing a draft and then we put them into a, uh, a bracket because that's instead of doing, I'm not a basketball March madness guy. So we'll yeah. do a music one. And, uh, I had met, by the way, I had Metallica as my top pick of the nine. We did nineties last year and it made right. the final four. So, uh, Hector won it last year with, uh, Nirvana. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, the, the draft order is John's got the first pick. Hector's got second. Dave's got third and I got last. So All we'll right. see what happens with that. Yeah. 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 And, uh, Yep, so uh, I'm sure Hector will have a lot to say as well. Yeah. And um, I think that's it. Yeah. All right. Uh, again, thanks to the Drew Estate guys uh, for setting this up. Uh, thanks to uh, Rob as well. That was a fun yeah. interview. Uh, Absolutely. A little, different, a little different. Thanks to our audience, of course, for being there. 
Uh, that's going to wrap up primetime episode 259 into the annals of history for Thursday, March 9th, 2023. We'll see everybody next time. Take care, everybody. See you guys.